When you're lost in the darkness, look for the pod. Specifically, the Prestige TV podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're breaking down every new episode of HBO's The Last of Us. On Sunday nights, grab your battery and join Van Lathan and Charles Holmes for an instant reaction to the latest episode. Then head back to the QZ on Tuesdays for a deep dive with Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin. From character arcs to video game adaptation choices, story themes to needle drops, we'll parse every inch of this cordyceps-coated universe. Watch out for mouth tendrils and follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of Weekends. I'm your host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazley Lambray, and I'm joined by a very, 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 very special guest. You've heard this guy on ESPN's airwaves over the years, writing for them, stats guru. You've read his stuff in Bleacher. I'm sure you've heard him on Metal Art Media with Dan Lebertard and crew. Handsome Tom Habistro. What's going on, brother? Hey, it's going well, man. I played pickup hoops this morning. I'm oh feeling good. I, I'm <laughs> telling you, man, we had a you, 6 a.m. run. You and are a madman. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, know, I airballed my first layup. I haven't played in a year, okay? So I airballed my first layup, wow. and I had it was the first time I with these guys, right? So you know when you're playing pickup and you got yeah. like a few mm-hmm. possessions to kind of set the They're tone about what sideways. kind of game. Right. Yeah. And I, I had a floater in the lane right off the cup, and I'm just like airballed it straight up. And uh, I think I heard someone go, who brought this guy? Yeah. <laughs> so if you watch the first game that Kyrie played with Dallas, a lot of his teammates were looking at him in amazement <laughs> that he could just hop in and just do what he was doing. That was Not you me. except the opposite. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They, your new teammates were looking at you like, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? Yes, yes. So my hamstrings are already hurting. This wasn't yesterday. This was this morning, and yeah. I'm already sore. So this, this is this is the life of a washed human being. That's why I don't even hoop. Like to do cardio, just get me to the treadmill. Get me to the yeah. elliptical. That's good enough for me. I'll, I'll get up, get my heart rate up, get a sweat going. I can't be running up and down, jumping with people. I got an invite 
for All-Star Weekend for like an open run for media. I've been staring at that thing for about <laughs> nine days Yo, now. I'm just like, yeah, this is not going to happen. Anyway, man, I wanted to get you up here because you were part of the legendary legendary Heat Index crew over at ESPN.com. We'll get into the formation of the Heat Index and all that was around it, but I wanted to have you on because I feel like this is a very special week in the career of LeBron James, and I wanted to do a sort of reflection on that. But specific to the four years in Miami, which is what I feel like you know how like college kids go to college and they become radicalized and it like sort of shapes their lives and their worldview? I feel like that was the hoops version of what happened to LeBron in Miami, right? Like 2016 can't happen. The bubble championship can't happen. If he doesn't go through <laughs> what he went through in Miami in the way that he did. So I want to get into that. But first, because we had such a chaotic deadline, um, I feel like I would be derelict in my duties as an NBA podcaster if I didn't talk to you about the KD deal because everybody was surprised. Everybody was blown away. Everybody's pretty excited about the potential of what it could be. I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear how you feel about KD to Phoenix, man. Yeah, I need to get on the West Coast. I don't know about you, but like I woke up. <laughs> I woke up to that news and I was like, Damn, I totally missed this. Like, totally missed all of the bluster and the, oh my God, reaction on Twitter. Yeah. And I feel like I got to get over to the West Coast. I'm not going to say it's the best coast yet, but after that experience of waking up to see the news, I kind of had a little bit of envy of you, Waz, that you made, you, the, made the trip. Before you go on, so the trade gets leaked to Woj and Shams at like, it had to be around like 115 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I was sitting next to my girl and I was like, motherfuckers can't even go to sleep at 1 a.m. during the trade deadline. Like, you can't even go to sleep at 1 a.m. Like, you're like you're not doing a good enough job at your job as an NBA reporter if you go to sleep at 1 a.m. during the trade deadline. That was the first, I was just like, this is a crazy time for this to leak. But yes, go on, Tom. Yeah, it was it was crazy. And so I was able to kind of like look back at the reactions in real time and just kind of assess what the what the narrative was or what the prevailing thought was. And I was trying to come up with a hot take because that's what we do in this business is when everybody's going zigging, you gotta zag a little bit. Cause then you're just gonna be part of the entire washed out you know, symphony of, it's a great trade or the symphony of, ah, oh, Russ is terrible. So I was like trying to seek a nuanced take that would be different from what I thought was widely an encouraging feedback on that trade from the Phoenix side. And I got to say, the time could never have been better for the Phoenix Suns to pounce on Kevin Durant. We'll talk about the new ownership, Matt Ishbia, coming in and wanting to make a splash, right? Like Mikhail Prokhorov did in, in Brooklyn. We have a bunch of examples of that over throughout history of the NBA where they come in and they want to... <laughs> A-Rod in Minnesota just this summer. Exactly, right? So we have a lot of history on that front. So you got the new ownership who's very eager to get this deal done, to get KD. KD wanted to go there, right? Mm -hmm. And third, look at the West. 
Yeah. The Western Conference arguably has never been more open in, since I've been covering this sport. It hasn't yeah. been more open. And I actually looked at this was sportsoddshistory.com actually has betting odds going wow. back to, I think, 2010. And I was looking to see, like, has there ever been a Western Conference favorite that had longer odds than the Denver Nuggets going into the All-Star break? <laughs> and I couldn't find one. Wait, is Denver, one. does Denver have the best odds to win the championship this year? No, is it's that, Boston. It's Boston. Oh, okay. I'm saying in the Western Conference. I'm sorry. Yeah, before the trade, wow. yes. Okay. Before the you. trade. Mm. So it's it, it wasn't Memphis or Golden State or the Clippers. It was Denver. And, you know, people are still warming up to the idea of Jokic as being a, ch- a championship finals contender, finals favorite. And so, like, if you're looking, Matt Ishbia and James Jones and Chris Paul and Devin Booker looking around and Monty Williams are saying, who are we afraid of? Like, if, right. like, if this doesn't pan out, okay, someone got hurt. But like the time is now to strike. There is no juggernaut Warriors. The LeBron James Lakers is over the hill, right? So like you look at the West and you say, this is the time. And yes, they give up Mikel Bridges and they give up Cam Johnson. Yes, and they I'm gave sure up their entire wing depth to bring in KD, but KD is the ultimate wing. So I, I, you know, I don't have a huge problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. And I think the Chris Paul injury concerns are overblown. I think he left the most unreliable star in the game in Kyrie Irving and joined Chris Paul, who, by the way, has played in 95% of his playoff games in his career. So, yes, hmm. he, he had a really bad series, second half of this series, at least last year, against Dallas. But against the Pelicans in the first round, he was great. And so yeah. I think when people talk about the risk of them falling apart and not being able to be healthy enough to win the championship. I hear that, but I'm also looking at the situation and saying this was a no-brainer. Yeah, and it, of course, if the, like every 10 out of 10 times you make this trade with your eyes closed, like the draft capital, the all like the, you know, Mikael Bridges, who I love, I think is a great player. He's a full court fits alum, so shout out to Mikael Bridges. But like, <laughs> look, it, it, it what they gave get the doled out in this trade is completely justified. I think if you're gonna have critiques for this trade, which I happen to have a couple. It's one, I think this does open the door for their offense to be a lot less fluid and more one-on-one, which is things that happen anyway in the playoffs. I mean, KD's one of the greatest one He's in the top five of one-on-one players, isolation players that have ever existed. And I think that's a concern. I think the offense is, is not going to be as, you know, as ball movement dominant, as fluid as it was before the trade, which may sound concern trolly, but whatever. And then I think, like, Chris Paul has to be good. He can't yeah. just be there, right? A- against Dallas, he was just there. You say he finished, mm-hmm. he's played in 95% of playoff games. That's true. But he was not the player that we saw him in the round before. So if Chris Paul is not good, I think these guys are imminently beatable, right? I think about Brooklyn last year. Functionally, to my mind, and people can disagree with me, I think functionally, Devin Booker and Kyrie Irving do the same thing. Devin Booker is, you know, he's a he's made himself a materially better defensive player than Kyrie is, even on his best nights these days. But functionally, as offensive players, they're the same guy. And even if you say KD's just as great as he was last year, to me, that cancels out. And then I think Claxton is a better player than Yeah, Aiden. that's, a, I, that's I a funny really turn do. of events, right? Like I, a like, year ago. I, I think he's just a straight up better player than Aiton is. And so, you know, that's where I look at 
the X factor, if you will, to get talk radio on your ass. I think the X factor is definitely Chris Paul and his ability to be a difference maker. We got Todd here. Todd. That's <laughs> <laughs> an inside these, these joke, people, These people don't know about Big Todd. Big Todd. <laughs> I think Chris Paul has to be a uh, difference maker. And to be yes. honest, if, if, if I were a betting man, I'd be taking the field in the West over... Phoenix, just because these guys haven't been together, they don't have the continuity. When it gets like in a game seven, would you take really in your heart of hearts take them against the Warriors? I most Uh, certainly would not. I wouldn't know. There's no fucking way I would pick these guys to be. Yo, but can you imagine how fun that would be? That would be, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wishing on a star. That would be incredible (sighs) if that could happen. I was, my buddies were texting me like, hey, what is like, the pinnacle Western Conference matchup for the Western Conference Finals. Like, what would be the most, the juiciest? And I'm like, I mean, it's easily Phoenix, Golden State, that right? Just, Can you imagine that, if we got like Sacramento, yeah. Denver? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Sacramento's third in the West right now. I and mean, I think they're I, ninth yeah, on the I, odds to come out of the, the West. Kings, I don't see them as a serious threat to come out of there. But yeah, I think, I think is, like it, is this Chris Paul's best chance? Oof, I'm not talking about that. I think so, man. I think that Bucks team was so freaking beatable. And to me, they just blew it. They got all of these decrepit teams. They beat up on all these decrepit teams on the way. They finally played a team that was, like, basically whole, but not, like, you don't look at that Bucks team as, like, wow, what a team, right? Like, these one championship teams, and I think the Bucks still have a chance to win another championship, but you don't look at them as, you know, the Dallas team that beat the Heatles that we're going to talk about or, the you know, the Spurs team from 24. Like, you don't see them as, like, a really excellent team. I think that was an incredible chance. This is the best chance since then. But like I said, man, the 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 Booker groin injury, that's an injury that's going to linger the only Damn. way to get a groin right is to not play. That's you know what's you interesting about that was is like he came back on a Tuesday. They had a game on Thursday and they sat him on Thursday. Yeah. He, you usually see back to back, second nights of back to back. They're going to rest the guy, but they rested him after they got him back after the trade. Like Dude. a lot of a lot of excitement around the team. It's Super Bowl week. There's the waste management. Phoenix is hopping right now, and they're going to sit Devin Booker because of injury management on a Thursday night. And that just you know that that spoke to me the seriousness the severity of that injury and the concern long-term for them. But again, I'm looking at the Western Conference. I'm looking at the new ownership. I'm looking at KD being like, number one on my list is Phoenix. (laughs) All of these forces at play, we we are going to nitpick the fact that Mikel Bridges might be the most high-volume three-point, corner three-point shooter. He does so many great things. He's never missed a game in his career. He's he's an underrated scorer. So I think the real... I know we want to talk about KD and Phoenix, but... I kind of love the Brooklyn Nets now. Is that, yeah. is that, am I the, wrong to like want to watch them every wings? single night? Yeah, I, I think they, they're going to be, when everybody plays, I think they're going to be a really fun and interesting squad. And, you know, I think they're going to get after it. They're going to be, they're going to give people a run in the playoffs because they're headed to the playoffs, right? And, you know, they're completely starless and, I always harken back to that Tibbs team where Nate Robinson was the best player on the team, offensively anyway. And they're going to be interesting. But yeah, the Phoenix thing, you know, I hate being that guy who's like, well, what about the depth? I mean, the depth is going to matter. 
But, you know, for them to win, their 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 guys, their three guys have to be exceptional. And and it's not that they're incapable of doing that, but that's what it's gonna take. Yeah. And I think KD, part of the reason why they pounced on this was because I think CP can't do the things he used to do. And yeah. so they need him to shoulder the load a lot more, like KD to shoulder the load. And so Chris Paul can just, man, he can just cook in the mid-range. He can set up the offense. He can scramble on defense. And that's what they, I think he had five block or five steals and two blocks the other night. And I'm like, damn, like he's, he's 37 years old and he's still got that, that next level to him defensively. So we'll see come playoff time. They were hunting him and it was just sad to see as a weight guy myself to see CP kind of, targeted like that last year and then when you when you incorporate the fact that like we just had LeBron James get his his milestone his record the Kareem record and you had you know a lot of talk about you know the Lakers winning that championship in 2020 I'm sitting here I'm like what is the big milestone left or the big talking point that's left and it's CP winning a ring that is that is not the number one thing but man I want him to get it. I think he's got a great chance, and I want him to get it just to quiet the Stugatzes of the world who would just think he's a total fraud. Well, he's never going to have a ring. He's definitely not going to get a ring in Stugatz's personal record. No chance. That's in, and KD is and not going to get a ring. That's, you're not going to get if it. Even Sorry. That's the Superstar thing chasing, is, can't do it. Sorry, KD. It's amazing, that take. Think about that take. It's a great take. Chris Paul is such a fraud that <laughs> he can't, doesn't deserve a ring if he wins the title. But KD also doesn't deserve to win a ring because he's joining right. up with Wouldn't CP. Wouldn't their collective fraudulence make the ring that much realer that they're doing it with one another? <laughs> yes. But, yeah, we got to get two gods on the show to figure out that math. Yes. But yeah, and there's no, you know, there's no easy way to transition to this, Tom. But I do, I got to talk to you about LeBron, the scoring record. But I want you to take the, the listeners back because 2011, or excuse me, 2010 was a long ass time ago. But yeah, take people back to 2010, what you were doing before and how you found out that you would be on this brand new beat called the Heat Index. So I was a baseball guy who <laughs> watched the NBA and was like, how come there aren't like sabermetricians nerding out over basketball? I, I play basketball. I love basketball. I was actually growing up more of a college hoops fan, UNC fan. Of course, very white of you, but yeah, go ahead. I, I think I rooted for <laughs> well, I college outside, hoops over I, NBA guy. There's, there's literally nothing whiter than that. So I rooted for the Raptors for a while because of Vince Carter. Of course. I got the Pumas because of Vince Carter. When he, oh. I think I got the green ones. Do you remember those? Yeah. They were like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was an NBA fan to the extent that like I knew basketball and I knew that there were, you know, John Hollinger and Kevin Pelton doing kind of advanced stats on the NBA. But outside of that, there was it wasn't mainstream. No, not at and all. And so I And started, John Hollinger was was stuck behind a goddamn paywall. He has been <laughs> insider. You had like the, the OG media paywall was ESPN Insider. Nowadays, like the whole subscription model is ubiquitous. But back then it was just like, God damn, I can't get these PR updates without paying ESPN extra. That's that's how it works. Mm -hmm. I mean, aren't you a believer in paying people for their work? Of course, 100 percent Right. And, so and, I, and I paid for that ESPN insider. Sure you did. Okay, so I <laughs> 
<laughs> I was I was coming up as on like an ESPN researcher. So I was the the guy who when like Cindy Brunson or Scott Van Pelt or what have you anchor, Sports Center anchor needed like a stat quick. Oh, hey, the, the Mariners just beat so and so. What's the latest stat to show to to put on Sports Center? And I'd like type it up, send it over. And that was my job at ESPN. And then I was a researcher for Chris Broussard. I was a researcher for Rick Buecher over at the magazine. And wow. I remember my my editor just being like, hey, Tom, like you're good at the numbers side of things, but do you ever try like writing? Do you want to write? And I was like, sure. So I wow. tried writing. And I think one of my first articles was about, was about how like Chauncey Billups, not Marcus Camby, was the defensive player of the year because of his on-court, <laughs> off-court ratings, which was a big reach. A stretch, yeah. But a big, a bit of a stretch. But the point was, was I had this like, trove of on-court, off-court information. What is that? You know, mm-hmm. this, is 20, this is 2009, right? Yeah. The, the number one website in like nerd NBA world was 82games.com. Shouts to Roland Beach, where it was like, man, there's this trove of data that no one really seems to be using. So I got a call from Kevin Arnovitz after I wrote a few articles and he was like, would you consider moving down to Miami to cover LeBron James? <laughs> hold up, hold up, hold up. And hold I'm up. like, I'm in a, a <laughs> shitty little apartment in Wethersfield, Connecticut. And you're going to pay me? Oh I would goodness. pay you large sums of money. That's amazing. To cover that team. And then Arnovitz called me and said, you want to do it? Yeah. So, you know, just to bring people up to speed, of course, obviously, people know the summer of 2010, LeBron James does his TV special with Jim Gray, the famous purple checkered button up, taking my talents to South Beach, causes a whole Vitamin water bookshelf. Remember the vitamin water bookshelf? Of course. Kanye (laughs) West was at the Boys and Girls Club. We all remember the decision. It It was like basically what I call the big bang of the modern NBA. Like everything about the league today flows out of LeBron in the decision. KD forcing his way to Phoenix and before that to Golden State and all these different things that we've seen in the NBA, this whole idea of quote unquote player empowerment and all that other jazz. It flows out of the decision. And obviously it's it's like huge deal. And so ESPN decides they're gonna dedicate a team of writers just to the heat. And ESPN, of course, is a national media company, but like people were like confused at the time. No, they're mad. To- <laughs> they, they were Can angry. Talk about this, please. <laughs> Was they were angry straight up, straight up. So to take you back into a time capsule here, at that point, ESPN had kind of gone into the regional. Like there was ESPN New York, uh-huh. there's ESPN Dallas, there's yep. ESPN Chicago, and they sent. Writers, they plucked writers from the newspapers and had to them cover be beat guys, yeah, for ESPN. Right. Yeah, there was no ESPN Miami, right? Okay, so <laughs> the model was okay, we got to set up ESPN Miami first to justify hiring four writers, four NBA yes. writers to cover one team, yes. But they just said, screw that, let's just do a bureau. I remember wow. Kevin calling it a bureau. He's like, this is a dream job of mine. It's just to be the the Miami Heat like bureau, bureau chief. The, yeah. The bureau chief of the Miami Heat like, coverage. Like so, so for people to understand, it's like the New York Times, which is, you know, the ESPN of real news, right? They, all ha- they have people in places like Hong Kong 
And that office is just, this is who gets gives New York Times news in Hong Kong. And there's a bureau chief and there's a dedicated staff, basically a New York Times auxiliary in somewhere like Hong Kong. You guys were the Miami Heat <laughs> auxiliary, the, the bureau covering LeBron James in this crazy story in Miami. And I remember, and it was justified. I think actually 10 writers would have justified and was how- Bruh. How captivating was that team? So I'll say this. I was a gen, I would say I was a general sports fan in 2010, right? Before the decision. I, I was a huge NBA fan, probably still, yeah, NBA was number one, but not far behind the NBA was the NFL, college football, college basketball, baseball. Like I I followed these sports. I would read, you know, ESPN and different sports illustrated and different stuff, <laughs> following all of this stuff. I played freaking NCAA football on Xbox incessantly. So I was like obsessed with college football. Of course, the NFL, even back then, of course, was big dogs and number one in the in America. But like LeBron leaving Cleveland. Joining D-Wade and Chris Bosh in the way that he did, the shitstorm that it caused, like that story just captured my imagination. I just became a one-sport person. I literally, I, I know I'm doing this job right now because of the decision and the interest that it sparked in me in the NBA and specifically this LeBron story. And so 2010 was the first year I bought League Pass so I could watch the Heat every single game. Like it was just... It was just an insane story. It like, was insane. Like the yep. NBA was leading ESPN. Like you can't beat the NFL for anything these days. And the LeBron thing just took it because people were so angry that this guy sw had the audacity to switch teams in free agency and do it on a TV program, which, by the way, drew 10 million views. That's the thing that people always that always kills me about decision critique, where it's like, how dare this guy do a new special for his free agency? I'm like, 10 million people watched. Did you watch? It was justified. <laughs> like, everybody watched this shit. Yeah. Everybody remembers where they were, as if it was like the Kennedy assassination. Yep, yep. Sitting, I was sitting next to my then-girlfriend, now-wife, and being like, holy like this really just, ha he really just stabbed Cleveland yeah. in the back on national yeah. television. This is going to rock everything we know about sports, everything we know about the NBA, it is going to be huge. And she's like, wow, that is pretty crazy. I actually like that shirt. That shirt is pretty nice. <laughs> I think I have a gingham, purple gingham shirt in my oh closet my right now, particularly because of the de decision. So like, Waz, when you talk about how captivated you were about this story, it had cultural impacts. It had basketball experiments. Yeah. Implications. It's like, how are they going to make this thing work? Like, that was Arnovitz, who was like my guy, right? He Shouts was like to Kevin Arnovitz, a legend, legend in the game. If you want to talk about somebody who is foundational to the way the NBA is covered right now, um, when you see people sticking video examples to show you what they're describing in something like pick and roll coverage or like this is why this guy's always doing an Iverson cut or X, Y, and Z. Kevin Arnovitz pioneered that shit. 100%. Pound for pound, the best NBA writer I've ever read. He's so good. Literally. And He's narrative amazing. stuff, he was, he was incredible at uh, explaining to you the story of the NBA. And then, of course, he could marry the numbers with the best of them. Kevin Arnovitz is a fucking legend. Keep going. So he he got down there and he's like, 
Tom, I just want you to explain the basketball experiment. Just mm. try to cap, try to capture this in numbers and in words. What's happening? What are we watching? Pull away all the bullshit and the sheen and all of the the, the blowhards and the Skip Baylesses of the world. Mm-hmm. If you remember, Skip Bayless was on air on ESPN mm-hmm. calling Chris Bosh Bosh Spice yeah, yeah, because yeah. of how soft, Allegedly. quote unquote, mm-hmm. his game was. And that was okay back then. Remember, yeah. a different time, right? And so we sought me, Brian Winhurst, Michael Wallace, and Kevin Arnovitz and I, the four of us, went down to Miami. And Brian Winhurst lived in Cleveland at the time, and he moved to Miami for a year. It lasted one year, and he was like, get me out of here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was, it was the first locker room that I had ever been in. Wow. That's amazing. Dude, what do you remember about your first, like, locker room experience with the Heat? And this is, again, it's just hard to explain. Like, these guys were literally seen as villains. There's no villainy in the NBA. We like everybody now. Although Memphis is working on it. Um, They're they're doing their best to become a hated group. (laughs) Not even, like, like, a drop in the bucket compared to this Legitimately, like, games in Utah. the, The Utah Jazz... Never had a chance of getting LeBron. He didn't spurn them. He didn't whatever. The Heat were playing Utah. The whole crowd just hated them. Just so, so tell us about going into that locker room for the very first time. So Brian Winhurst would put his arm around my shoulder and just be like, Tom, this is not normal. Like what you're <laughs> about to experience is not normal. We go on the floor. It's Boston, in Boston, right? And it's the first game of the season. And I was introduced like that day. I remember we did DDL, Daily Dime Live with Zach Harper. And we're sitting there in like that. It's like the fastest chat room you've ever seen pre-Twitter, right? And Tim Frank, who's the, the head communications guy at the NBA, he's on the floor with me and Brian. And Brian's just like, so how many media people are here for the opening game of the season? And Tim Frank just like looks him dead in the eye. And he's like, this is more than a finals game. Wow. This is more than like (laughs) the NBA finals (laughs) was there for LeBron's first game with the Miami Heat. And I remember D-Wade had a bad game and people were like, this is it. They'll never win one. One game in. out of here. Uh One game in. And I remember the Wolves were out. Like they they were looking for blood. As soon as, like the first week, the first yeah. week of the season, even LeBron, there are whispers. LeBron's trying to get Spo fired. Da, yeah. da, da, da. The shoulder and bump. We remember the shoulder bump. The shoulder bump, which may or may not have been, <laughs> been intentional, intentional, that they downplayed at the time. <laughs> but like, yeah, we got to keep this moving. So I, I just remember I was sleeping on an air mattress in an apartment in Miami Beach, never sleeping because it was nonstop. The coverage was nonstop. It was, there was this <laughs> quote, this pundit said something crazy about it. We need to cover it. Like why they're stupid. What did LeBron do in the clutch? Is Carlos Arroyo going to be their starting point guard right. or should it be Mario Chalmers? Big Z, like Big Z's coming yeah. aboard. Like is Eric Damp like these storylines, you couldn't get enough. James yeah. Jones, like, Mike Miller, is he going to play? Udonis has, like, all this was so big, and it all revolved around one big question, which hadn't been answered. Yeah. Can LeBron James win the big one? Right, which, is, which seems absurd 
to even ponder today because he's done so much fucking winning and eight straight finals and all this craziness. But like it was it was seen as a legitimate question. And, you know, the team started nine and eight. I remember they started nine and eight and, you know, the sky was falling. But I don't remember if it was you or if it was KP. I think Hollinger might have still been writing. That might have been the last year that Hollinger was still writing. Yeah. I, I don't remember. But somebody was just like, look, they've got the best defense in the NBA by far. A lot of this stuff is they're losing close games. And winning or losing close games often is random noise. So it yes. doesn't mean anything. Yeah. The numbers are sound. This team is really good. <laughs> and like I remember reading that and breathing a breath of fresh air because, of course, I was rooting for LeBron. I was like, this is... I want to see this guy succeed in all of this because this is freaking nuts. You know, jersey burning and all of this. And, and again, like, games in Memphis, teams that have nothing to do with LeBron, not the conference, there's no natural rivalry. Their fans were frothing at the mouth when the Heat came to town. So I want to ask you, Tom, like, if you can even remember, what was your impressions of LeBron in those very early days? What was, like, the measure that you took of LeBron in that early Miami fire, pardon the pun. People don't remember this now because LeBron is such a like lovable character now and just you know, strive for greatness and just all like he's he's a he's a lot more positive now than he was back then. So back mm. then, wow. because the heat were so hated, <laughs> like people were rabid. When they talked about the Miami Heat, I mean, it was the so, takes were just scorching. It, 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 there was no measured response to anything involving the Heat. So I was supposed to be the tonic to that, right? I right. was supposed to be the one to be like, "Yo, LeBron's clutch numbers are actually outrageous." Like, if we look at his playoff career numbers, like he's got way more game winners than you think. He shoots way better field goal percentage than Kobe or D Wade or whoever it is. And this is just crazy talk. And and I I. Do it might not have been my article that you read, but I read I wrote one that was showing LeBron's clutch numbers. I remember the comments just being like, "Get this nerd out of here with his calculator." I'm like, "Yeah, like, like I could write out. You want to watch the film of these game winners? Do you want to watch? Like, does that help you?" And and I was I a lot of my role was like truth squatting the narrative yeah. that LeBron didn't have it in him to win a title. Mm -hmm. And so I remember he was fighting back against all this vitriol and he was a different person. And Brian Winhurst, he would just look at me like in the most Brian way after LeBron had like a press conference where he was just very like evil. Like he, he, he wanted to be the heel that year. Mm -hmm. He wanted to lean into that. I'm the most hated guy mm -hmm. and y'all are crazy and I'm going to lean into it. Mm -hmm. And Brian just looked at me. He's like, I don't know who that guy is. Wow. Like, I don't know who he is. Yeah. Because up until then, he's, he's always been the, a sunny guy, a very right. remember, sunny disposition. Remember the Cavs where they would take those pictures yeah. on the sideline? The Danny Green with the dancing. And yeah, 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 of course. It was all fun. It yeah. was all joy. It was all like smiley and all this <laughs> and, and just, uh, just an absorbing a lot of positivity and giving it out. And this Miami Heat team was different. And so LeBron did a lot of growing up that year because of the media reaction. I think he wore that on his sleeve and he was so consumed by that negativity. I don't know how one hears all of that negativity and not be affected by it, that it all came crashing down 
against Dallas in the finals. And you were talking, you were rooting for LeBron. I think for my career, I was rooting for LeBron. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for $5 chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So so here's what I remember about that. I remember the playoffs, of course. I remember they kicked... You know, they quickly dispatched the Celtics. Rondo with the elbow. D-Wade, that was a dirty play by D-Wade. There's no, there's no two <laughs> yeah. ways about it. D-Wade dragged the guy him. down. I probably defended him. Yeah, yeah okay. but yeah, he, he ruined Rondo's elbow. They got rid of Boston in like five games. The Bulls actually had the number one seed in the East. The, the Heat ended up winning like something like 58 games. It was an incredible pace for a team that got slapped together the summer before. The Bulls and D. Rose and the fraudulent MVP that he won and all of that, they play them in the conference finals. And, you know, LeBron, he was pretty good on offense. Like, it's LeBron. He's never going to be bad. But he, his defense was just – he would Check guard D. Rose, man. D. Rose at the end of games on an island by himself. The guy that Game just over. won the MVP and would just strap him up. It was just like, yo, D. Rose, like – I'm just as athletic as you, but I'm way huger. There's yeah. nothing you can do about this. And I just remember being like, yeah, oh, the, 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 the Bulls is the toughest, the toughest test. This, this Dallas thing is gonna be a fucking breeze. Right. And I remember, I remember the moment when that series changed. I, I know when it happened. It was, I think that would have been game three. I think it was game three where LeBron drives. And I'll never forget, he gave a left-hand pass to Chris Bosh, who made the game-winning shot. And in the press conference, like LeBron, you know, he had a pretty good game, didn't drop 30 or whatever. And was it Greg Doyle? I forget who it was who asked him, but it was just like, why are you deferring? 
Like, what, what's going on? Like, basically, like, yeah. you're not playing well enough. And I just remember LeBron's reaction to that statement was, like, we just won the game. I had the game-winning <laughs> assist. And this guy, yeah, it, yeah. it clicked for LeBron. Like, this shit is not – winning this series is not going to be enough. It, it's and, not. And, and he stopped playing well directly after that. Like, and I think – the the, the storyline out of LeBron breaking the scoring championship, Tom, I think the reason why it's an important one, because in that moment, I think LeBron understood that, like, that's not my game. Going out and scoring 40 is not something that I do. So if that's the standard that people want for my championship to be legitimate, I'm not going to be able to do that. Like he's, he just, So people would always point to the Detroit series as like, yes, he can't. Like, right. yes, he can. And it's almost you're a product of your own success or you're, yeah. you're, the problem is that you have done it before. And this always happens with LeBron and the national narrative is like, you've done this before. We've seen you do this before. So we know you're capable of it. Why don't you do it every single time? And it's as if Michael Jordan never had a bad game, right? It's as yeah. if LeBron James was not allowed to have a bad game or not allowed to pass the ball in yeah. late game situations. Yeah, and he passed the ball for a game winner to Chris Bosh, a guy making more money than him, by the way, that season. Obviously not a better player, <laughs> but like he gave it to a an all-star player to yeah. finish, and that wasn't good enough. But I think to me, it spoke to a certain mentality that that LeBron's always had, where it's like, you know, it's almost, he's, he's always calculating what the right play is given the environment, right? Given who my teammates are, who I'm playing against, and he had not yet made those calculations on the heat. On a possession-by-possession possession basis, like, there was no hierarchy or order to what the heat were doing on offense. And LeBron knew that. He, know they, he knew they were flying by the seat of their pants on offense, and he just didn't have a comfort with it about ownership. Like, and you think, you fast forward to, like... Game six in 2016 in the finals, the one where him and Kyrie dropped like 40 or something stupid like that. And if you rewatch that game, like this is a guy in full command of everything. He knows exactly what to do, exactly where to be, exactly where to position people on every single, literally every possession, right? And that he just didn't possess that in year one in Miami. And I think I get, it got into his head. And that's why he just failed. He was just unsure of himself. And and I want to hear you talk about this, Tom. But I do want to say this for people because I want to be transparent. This is Weekends with Wise. We got to be transparent on the show. After they lost game six to Dallas, and <sighs> it was just so clearly, obviously, a failure. Like LeBron had it justified was... every single critique that had ever been levied upon him. When I tell you, I first of all, one, I didn't sleep that night. Like you would have thought, like, like I like that I bet my house on this or something. Like I didn't sleep that night. Two, my favorite thing to do that whole postseason was to turn on first take and watch it the night after the Heat won a game <laughs> or a series. I would always turn it on after. You're like to a watch. Republican watching like Rachel Maddow yeah, or yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh my God, yes. I watched Fox News the night Obama got elected in 2012, though. But anyway, <laughs> I did not watch ESPN for, I want to say, two weeks. And, and I'm telling you, Tom, I watched yeah. ESPN all day, every single day in those days. I didn't watch ESPN for two weeks. I straight up just didn't. I straight up never watched First Take again. Like, just I just quit First Take. <laughs> have you ever... Have you ever 
believed or have you ever stand for an athlete or a team harder than LeBron at that moment going into the finals? I don't think like, so. Like, I, I don't like, think I, I don't think I've, I mean, I know you was, and no. I knew you because of LeBron. Like yeah. you were such a LeBron fan Bro. and you were, you were like my spirit animal in like, I would write an article and you'd be like, yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so, you. So, the Andy Chavez Mets in um, 06 <laughs> or 07 that broke my heart. Carlos Beltran leaving the, the bat on his shoulder. I think that's like the only team experience, sport experience that I've felt as similarly invested in. Like, that's right. the only thing that comes close. And so, like I said, it felt like a death in my family when LeBron lost in the way that he lost. And I remember, and, and my buddies were big LeBron fans too. We were like... The only people. And, you know, I remember wanting to quit. Just being yep. like, yo, like, these people might be right. And my buddies, I remember my buddies <laughs> talking me off the ledge. Like, there's just no way, like, this guy isn't who we know him to be. And so, 2012 but at the time, happens, it really felt that it, way. It felt, it, especially in the summer. It just Cause, felt cause, like, this guy's a fraud. Because I remember, and I said this before, but I really, I want to put a pin in this, like, I really felt like part of my career hinged on LeBron winning that title. Not because like I want, I was a Heat fan, but because all of my work up until that point was like, y'all are dumb. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not looking at this at the right way. Like you say he's not clutch, but like all of this data says otherwise. And you're just ignoring the evidence. This guy is, if not the best player of all time, the best player of this generation. I don't care By who four. it is. Yeah. He's going to win multiple titles in Miami, yeah. if not five titles. Yeah. And you guys are all jabronis, right? right. Like that was my, that was my general ethos on covering that team for them and the heat index. Cause all the data said like this team, think about that. Like they were by far, like they were an amazing defensive team and you can't point to one oh, of those guys on the team has been like a defensive player of the year. It was so good. I mean, they would, they would just blitz everybody and they would be able to run around. It was insane. It was, so, it was crazy. But I remember I watched Dallas celebrate on the floor in Miami. I was standing next to Dan Levitard. <laughs> and we both were just arms crossed. Like couldn't believe what you were seeing. Shaking our heads. Like, is this, because we all just assumed did, like. Did, did we just witness, that, like what the fuck? Like the J.J. Barea thing, I almost got in a fight with another writer. So I don't think I've ever told this story before. <laughs> I'm new onto the beat, right? And, and like, I've got no credibility except for like, I work for ESPN. So no one who's been on the NBA beat really knows who I am, except for like Brian and Kevin are like, Hey man, this is Tom. This is my little like, bro. Yeah. 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 So I'm in Dallas at the NBA finals and LeBron is not posting up. He won't do it. Like, like he won't score on JJ Barea mm -hmm. and he can't score on JJ Barea at that moment, which is amazing that JJ Barea congratulated LeBron James on the scoring title with a photo of him trying to back down JJ yeah. Barea because at the time, yeah, it was it was it was over. Like so so when, so when I tell you that I didn't get sleep that night, I kept replaying the the I kept replaying LeBron catching in in an entry passing pass. out of like like JJ's yeah, here, just, back him down and being like I'm just passing kept back replaying out. in my mind over and over again. But yes, continue. And so I would I would be like I wrote a column or something. I forget what it was. Mark Heisler, who's an amazing person, an amazing writer. He's a Hall of Famer. 
Like, but he's older. He's old, right? He's like probably 70, 70 years old at the time around there. And I'm this 25 year old coming in here being like, LeBron's great. And he's got the clutch gene and all mm -hmm. these things that he didn't believe. And I would be like, he's actually really efficient in the post. Like <laughs> he's really efficient. He's a good post player. And he's like looking at me like, I'm speaking a different language. Yeah. He's like, what are you talking you about? Are you watch, not watching, watching this? this? Yeah. And I'm like, mm -hmm. he has the tools. He has the size. He has the skill. He can do this. And I have the data to prove it. So I'm literally on like the writer's row next to Mark Heisler at the LA Times, who's a legend, right? And I'm pulling up Synergy Sports. <laughs> and I'm like, look at this data. And he's, he's like, are you kidding nerd, me? Tom. Such a nerd. <laughs> such a nerd. I'm like, look at this. It says 1.4 points per possession out of the post, <laughs> and it ranks number three among 100 explosive players. And he's like, yo, man, open your eyes and look at what's happening out here. And I'm like, you don't think I watch the games? And he's like, I mean, what? And we like went at it. And I think I think Brian or someone had to separate us because it was getting like, because yeah, that's heated. what LeBron brought out of people at yes, the time. Yes, at that time. LeBron brought out this Emotion. like primal. Emotion. Thing that he was made just us like, feel something. That's that's why I love the guy. Like, as much as I love these new guys, like like LeBron, like he just struck a chord in people. Love him or hate him, like he got people invested emotionally in what he was doing. So, you know, the disaster of 2011, all of that happens. Lockout shortened season, 66 games, which by the yeah. way, Tom, you've converted me. We need to shorten this season. We need to just do a round robin, play every team home and away, get this 82 game shit out of here. Whatever. I digress. I don't know, but the billionaires won't be happy with that, Waz. Are you sure you want to Billionaires take money can't out of their figure pockets? out how, whatever. I'm, I'm not even, these guys are supposed to be the smartest people on planet Earth. They can't figure out how to still make money while, while making the product better. Okay. 2012 playoffs come up. And again, 2012 and 2011 are pivotal because of the J.J. Barea shit that happened that LeBron had egg on his face and all eyes on him in the playoffs. The Pacers series, I think it, they was, I think they was tied 1-1. And then that game where him and D Wade dropped like forty, that was okay. like it was like yeah. okay, they're not gonna lose to the Pacers. <laughs> right? So I got a story about that. Yes. So LeBron James and D Wade, they couldn't score. Chris Bosh got hurt, pulled an abdominal muscle, and I thought my career was over. Honestly, yep. I was like, this is it. Like the Heat are gonna fold because Chris Bosh, big three, got hurt in the mm -hmm. Boston series, and they can't they can't function anymore. So they, they go down where it's like one, one, they can't score. They start Roni Turioff and Udonis Haslam <laughs> in that series. And they're like, we got to do something else. And so Pat Riley and Eric Spolster is sitting as they always do after games in the playoffs in one of their offices and, or their hotel rooms. And they open up a bottle of wine and they're like, what do we do? We can't score. We can't score. Like we were starting Roni Turi off and UD and we need to figure out a way to score. So Spo goes, let's go small. Let's go small. Let's go, um, instead of matching David West and Roy Hibbert for size for size, let's go small. And Pat was like, no, 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 it's not going to work. And Spo's like, all right, let's start Shane Battier and Dexter Pittman in the next game. <laughs> they got their asses handed to them. <laughs> They lost by like 30, I feel like. Dexter Pittman, he played like five minutes. It was a disaster. It was an epic disaster. And I remember Spo looking at me after that game and being like, we got him. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, no, you don't got him. And he's like, 
he's very confident. He's like, "What? we're going to start Shane Battier again at the four, go small, spread the floor, and we're going to win. And they did. That next game, they continued having Shane Battier at the four. LeBron and D-Wade combined for 70 points. It was like a whole new team. It was a whole yeah. new team. And I it was like a game. Trojan horse. Where like, it was on a Sunday. I remember that game because it was on a Sunday because I remember I got on the phone with my boy because I had doubted. And he was like, I told your ass this shit wasn't <laughs> over. These dudes is finished. Watch. we fit. And then they finished them in six games. And, of course, they played Boston in the conference final. No Chris Bosh for basically the whole yep. series. Until, I think he didn't come back till game five. And we didn't know that he was going to come back. Right. Like, he came back early. Chris Bosh is a warrior, man. Underrated, that dude. He comes back. Paul Pierce hits that, you know, famous game winner in game five. He's talking all the shit. And we're at the crossroad moment again with LeBron. Game six in Boston for the Heatles, big three, for everything. Everybody's just like, he's going to fold just like he did against Boston. Just, just like, he, first of all, we didn't even talk about the 2010 series against Boston where all of that weird shit happened and whatever. Then it was 2011 against Dallas and everybody's just like, he's going to fold. He's going to fold. He's like not going to do it. He's he's going to get killed in, you know, probably the, the, the single greatest LeBron game, in my opinion, I don't care what nobody says, was that game six where he just, he literally turned into a freaking alien. You know how like memes them. are always there are a lot of memes out there that are that are taken out of context. Like that's actually not how it went down. That photo that you just you're memeing everywhere. That photo of LeBron at the line and looking up all looking evil. like a predator. Yeah. Oh mm -hmm. my God, was that accurate? <laughs> I he remember, ripped their hearts out. Yeah. I remember reading Bill's piece because he was at the game. He flew to Boston for it. He was just like, Yeah, we're about to go to the finals. Like, we're done. We killed LeBron. We, we ended this guy. And, and, and he, I remember reading Bill's piece, and he was just like, this motherfucker, literally, literally what you just said, he ripped everybody's soul out. Like, you just knew, like, five, six minutes into the game, like, he's not losing tonight. They go on to win game seven, which was a closer game than people remember. I remember Chris Bosh hit those big two corner threes. And then in OKC, like, they lost the first game. Yes, people forget. Yeah, they were down... 0-1 to that young OKC team. They, yep. To KD, James it Harden, Westbrook, it was Ibaka. And I remember them being really calm in the press conference afterwards. And just LeBron, like, what he did for the next four games, to me, that's like what birthed this. Like, he had became a new player. Like, he hasn't basically since that series, the, the last two games in Boston— and on LeBron, before losing to Phoenix in the playoffs, like last year or two years ago, whatever it was, has never played a bad playoff series since. Literally. It's crazy. Literally. <laughs> He's just been dominant every single playoff series after that. Like, so that's why I feel like the Heat shit is the line of demarcation in his career where it's just like talent and ability and know-how had finally sort of coalesced. And winning that championship in 2012, he just never looked back. Even when he didn't play his best 
against San Antonio the next year, you know, people forget yeah. about what he did in the fourth quarter against, like, sure. in game six. Like, when his headband got knocked off and he just became the scariest player on the planet, you know, Ray <laughs> Allen shot all of that. But I really do believe 2012 is the great divider in his career. It's like yeah. everything else that flows out of that can be informed by the embarrassment against Dallas, redemption against Boston, ultimately beating OKC and, you know, the rest is history. I think it was, you hit it on the head, is the the embarrassment of that Dallas series. It humbled LeBron James, and I use that word literally, humbled him, where he felt like he felt small. He felt... I remember Spo telling me one time, he's like, I sat down LeBron James after that Dallas series and we just talked about basketball. And it was just, it was just like this cathartic, like we need, we both needed that series to just reinvent everything, reinvent the whole thing, just to go back to the whiteboard and reinvent LeBron and the heat and everything around that. And that series you're talking about with OKC and Boston, it doesn't happen without the Dallas humbled, just, I don't know what I'm doing out there in the biggest moments because what they did was they said, LeBron, you're, you're Carl Malone out there. Like you need to learn how to be Carl Malone sometimes. Doesn't mean all the time, but learn how to post up guys. And more importantly, learn how to set screens and then roll to the rim. LeBron James has always been the air traffic controller, being able to see everything. And one of the hard things for LeBron was, is to come to grips with the fact that when he turns after the screen, he's no longer being able to see the floor. Yeah, he can't place every single defender. And that is so unnatural to him. He's never been in that position before. And so they had to learn that. And I remember Arnovitz writing a, uh, a column where he found the data that the most uh, efficient pick and roll in the NBA at that time, far and away, not even close to anybody. Braun and D Wade. Yeah. Braun and D Wade. Mm-hmm. And they never ran it. They right. never ran it. And Spo would always wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Just wait, wait to the playoffs, wait to the playoffs. And sure enough, LeBron James was more comfortable playing the four, playing, you know, screening and rolling. And he was completely unlocked at the post where if you threw a double, he's finding the open man instantaneously and crumbles the defense. So that, that OKC series, you know, we talk about luck and in, in championships and bad luck for LeBron. The good luck in that was actually adversity of Chris Bosh getting hurt. Yeah. And that was opportunity for them to realize they got to go small and have LeBron park himself on the on the corner, on the on the on, on the, the post. post. And then when Chris Bosh came back, they eventually started him and Battier. And then that just that just it unlocked. Was, the Heat had always had a sort of comically inefficient offense for the level of talent that they had. And then once they did that, they came back in 2012-13. They're breaking records. They're doing all kinds of shit. They inverted Bosch and LeBron where Bosch would be, he'd be the center, but he'd be all the way out at the three-point line and Bron would be posting guys up. Just incredible. And like I said, I wanted to talk, I wanted to talk to you about the Heat today, the Heatles era, because one, I'm still chasing that high as an NBA fan. Like <laughs> yeah, I've man. never felt I've never felt like that watching the NBA before or since. And I just think it's so pivotal to everything that LeBron has become was those four years in Miami, the, you know, the Spurs series winning in 2013, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, just the the kind of leader that he's become out of it, like his comfortability around media springs out of finally winning those two championships. And like he like the media personality that he is now, he was not in 2012 and 2013. It's it's 
because of what happened in Miami, that he became that person. And you were somebody who had a front row seat to all of that shit. I, I want to get you out of here. Just tell me what you remember about the two championships. There's things that, that stick out in your mind about the two Miami championships. You know, LeBron was... He was in a shell after that finals of 2011 and then kind of reinvented his game. The Heat reinvented themselves. Chris Bosh was a, a spacing five. And it kind of made everyone look at this situation and say, man, we had that, that, I mean, Carlos Arroyo and Big Z were starting Dampier, Eric Dampier. It was, it was very traditional. Mike Bibby, man, Mike yeah. Bibby, I wrote the column and it was Mike Bibby is the least productive postseason player in NBA history. It was his <laughs> PER was the lowest PER in NBA history in the postseason. And Spo stuck with him because it was like on paper, it made a lot of sense. A, sh a spacing, shooting, Mike Bibby, you know, veteran, all-star, all this. And then he was just, he just couldn't shoot, couldn't shoot. And I remember the day he came to the Heat, he was like, yeah, I actually don't like open shots. I'd rather be contested. And I was like, oh, that's probably a bad sign on this team because you're going to get a lot of open shots. And so the 2013-2012 NBA championships was really about uh, that team putting the finer point on who they are and getting Ray Allen, Mario Chalmers, Udonis Haslam, Mike Miller. The Richard Lewis thing was so... Like that team... I think like six of their players retired after the 2014 series. Like Rashard Lewis was done. Shane Battier was done. Ray Allen was done. Michael Beasley was out. He was in China after that. Like there was a, there was a collective understanding that they were just toast, right? Mm -hmm. I could not believe that LeBron left. I remember just being stunned that LeBron left after the fourth because I think I was drinking the Miami Heat Kool-Aid. Like I'll be yeah. honest. Like he they culture. thought he was coming... Miami Heat culture, yeah, you would never yeah, do that. And honestly, yeah. was like I, I probably was listening to you too much at the time. I could not imagine LeBron James reading that Dan Gilbert yeah. letter and ever going back to Cleveland. I remember when I when I read the freaking tweet that said that he was back. I was shocked, and it and it, it um Chris Sheridan, God bless him, he had reported it like days, if not a week before. But I was like, what the fuck does Sheridan know? But I was still, and I was still shocked when I read that he went back to Cleveland. But like I said, I will always remember the Heatles era Miami Heat just for the highs, the lows, just the, 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 the raw emotion around that. We haven't had it since. And so, you know, we never go this long on this show, Tom, but I could literally talk to you about this all day. But please tell people about Basketball Illuminati where they can find your stuff, brother. Yeah, Basketball Illuminati, Basketball Illuminati, Basketball Illuminati. We say it three times to keep our third eye open on that program. It's very different, original NBA podcast where Love we it. tell you the truth about the NBA. And you are a truth teller, Waz. You've been Thank on the show. You, I appreciate you. I love you. This past week was a really fun one. We talked with Shams Charania, who actually broke a trade, a Miami Heat trade, no less, on the air with us. So go listen to that. He is a machine. So yeah, Basketball Illuminati, it's... it's it's a really cool show. We love doing it. You can follow me on, on Twitter at Tom Haberstro. And I will say this, Waz, I love you, man. And like the Miami Heat, the story of the Miami Heat cannot be told without you because you lived and breathed that team more yeah. than anybody I know. It was crazy. Um, and I was covering that team. Like yeah. I was living and working on that, that team, but you were the LeBronologist. Yeah. Uh, you and Brian Winhurst. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, to the point where like, you know, like I literally 
just became, I still wanted to see LeBron do well, but I was so much less invested once he went back to Cleveland. I was like, just like I don't care about this story. This, is, this isn't <laughs> as cool. Like, it's just not as cool. It's not as interesting. It's not as, you know, experimental. But yeah, I appreciate you saying that, man. Um, and obviously, you're my brother. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Yes, that's our show for today. Make sure you're locked into the Ringers NBA feed. Of course, we got group chat on Wednesday. Real Ones, uh, the new Austin Rivers podcast, which is already classic. The Answer with Siren and Kyle. Just keep it locked with the Ringer um, for all things NBA. Of course, we will see you guys next week. Peace. Ready?